Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Social Insights Show. I'm your host, Shrey. Before we begin and dive into what Social Insights is, I wish you nothing but love and lots of happiness. This year has been difficult for many. Stay in there, we'll get through it. Now, onwards to the show. The purpose of the show is to help you unleash your potential by learning from people in engineering, science, academia, industry, financial markets, the arts, and so on. Humanity has a lot to offer, and through this exploration, I hope to learn so much more about myself, the world around me, and the people that reside in it. The following is a conversation with Simran Suri. Simran is not only a dear friend of mine, but she's also an analyst at Equal Ventures, a $56 million fund based in New York that's industry agnostic, geography agnostic, and is focused on the seed stage. Prior to joining Equal, Simran was introduced to venture through internships and multiple firms such as Sogal and Greenspring. She's also worked as an operator at VC-backed startup Predata. In addition, she was managing partner of Johns Hopkins University student-run fund A-Level Capital. At A-Level, she led numerous investments in early-stage companies founded by Hopkins students, alumni, and faculty. She's a graduate of Johns Hopkins University, where she received a bachelor's in international studies and sociology through the Global Social Change and Development Program. I first met Simran in March of 2019, competing at a national venture capital competition at UVA. Unfortunately, my team lost, but Simran's did not. Placing first, Simran crushed the competition, which included me, of course, but did it with grace and was kind enough to engage in a conversation. And that's the origin story of our friendship. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Simran, I am captivated by your story, an unorthodox beginning, specifically as a result of your unconventional foray into the world that is venture capital. Everyone obviously has a story to tell. What is your story and how did you become so engrossed with the word venture capital? Yeah, um, so for me, I think a lot of it was actually because of my academic background. Um, So I graduated from Johns Hopkins in May uh, while I was at Hopkins. I double majored in a uh, track program, I guess. So it was double major between international studies and and sociology. Um, And then that track program that I was in that required the double major um, focused on development economics. So through that, I ended up um, you know, having to do independent research, um, kind of spending my time focusing on the impact of tech and entrepreneurship on underrepresented demographics and minorities in um, different countries around the world. And my specific focus was in South Asia. Um, that's, you know, where, where I'm from. Um, and through that, I ended up getting really interested in uh, venture and, and technology. And I was fortunate enough to have... Um, an actual outlet for that on the Hopkins campus through A-Level Capital, which is our student-run venture fund. Um, And so, you know, onboarded onto A-Level, was able to kind of try my hand at investing for the first time. Um, And yeah, that's kind of um, how it all got started. Now, it's extremely evident to me that you capitalized on the opportunities that presented themselves at Johns Hopkins. I want to delve a little deeper into A-Level Capital, a 350k investment fund 
What was it like leading the cohort of smart and talented Johns Hopkins students while focusing on the early stage ecosystem at the university? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess a, a little background on A-Level. Um, like you said, it's it's an early stage venture fund and, and firm focused on companies founded by Hopkins alumni or, or current students. Although for the most part, we do invest in uh, companies just founded by alumni, um, typically at the pre-seed or seed stage. Um, it was a great experience. Um, it was I think one of the first times in my life that I was really truly tr thrown into something where I didn't really know anyone and I really had no idea what I was doing. Um, like literally not even a clue as to, you know, how to go about sourcing, how to go about thinking about competitive dynamics, market dynamics and things like that. All I knew was that I was really interested in sort of the broader like macro impacts um, that technology could have. Um, and yeah, so everything at A-Level is, is entirely run by students where, you know, a group of like anywhere between 13 to 16, depends on the year, <laughs> students who meet twice a week for three hours. Um, and together we built a firm, we built a community, we built, you know, processes, we built a way to source companies, we built, you know, out different metrics for diligence that we thought were important. And it was a lot of us guessing trying many things, seeing what failed, and then just sticking with what worked, <laughs> and then having to repeat the process multiple times. Um, and, you know, we had, we had great advisors um, kind of helping us along the way and, you know, giving us insight and advice um, through our, our founders of A-Level, who both work in venture now themselves. But um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a great experience. It was a really good way to test out different styles of learning, different styles of communication. Um, it was a great way to kind of figure out what got me excited and what got me, you know, what, what exactly I was interested in. Um, I think the beauty of A-Level is that because we all, while on the team, um, you know, only look at companies that have some connection to Hopkins, typically through an alumni, um, through an alum, we can really look at all industries. And so there were kind of no, no bars there, like no restrictions. We were really seeing kind of the wildest things and, and the greatest range of things. Um, and I really appreciated having that experience so early on. Now, it can be extremely tedious or difficult to acquire new clients in any industry. How did A-Level Capital, under your leadership and that of your managing directors, go about convincing entrepreneurs to take your advice and capital? I think it is something that's hard. It's it, There's never sort of an easy, simple, um, methodical way to do it. I think we at A-Level really face that problem, especially because we were all students and, you know, we were full-time students and classes were kind of our main job. And A-Level was something that we did sort of on the side at nights on weekends between classes and things like that. And so, you know, we didn't have a ton of time to sort of go out there and pound the pavement and, you know, meet with a ton of founders and go to all these events and things like that. Um, and so it was a lot of you know, Google searching, just trying to stay on top of the news, a lot, a lot of cold emails, like, I cannot even tell you. Um, so many cold emails, but I think all those things build, you know, really important skills. And it was just just part of the process. Um, 
And the fact that everyone on the team did that, no matter if you were an associate or a managing partner, I think just just made it all the more fun. I certainly couldn't agree anymore with you. Fun is truly beneficial within the confinements of any type of organization. My next question touches upon managing time effectively. You were a very busy person in the classroom and certainly as the leader of A-Level Capital, but you had other responsibilities and you were part of other initiatives on campus and beyond. In your opinion, what are some important skill sets that one should attain in order to build resiliency and grit? Yeah, um, so I think there were two kind of parts to that that I sort of figured out while at school. And um, it has definitely been sort of a whole new beast (laughs) that I've been trying to figure out again now that I have started working. Um, But at least while I was in school, for me, one part of it was, okay, what do I not like? Like, what do I know that I definitely do not want to spend time on? And as I, you know, sort of tried new things and figured that piece of it out, it became easier to then in turn um, understand and identify what I wanted to prioritize more, whether that be like a certain part of sociology or, you know, a certain space um, that I may look at at A-level or a certain activity. Um, I think it really applies uh, kind of across the board. The other part of it for me was to be really conscious of the fact that, you know, as a student, as someone who is trying to get a job as someone who's trying to, you know, get founders on the phone, all that stuff, you are, you're kind of taking a lot. You take people's time, you take people's advice, you take people's attention. Um, I think there's a sort of like equilibrium in the world almost is how I see it, that um, there are periods in your life where you take a lot, but there are also times where it's important to give back. So for me, thinking about the different ways and outlets that I could kind of give back to those around me, um, whether it be like founders that we worked with at A-level or the A-level team or in my classes or volunteering or, or anything like that, really. Um, I think that that, again, made it easier to just figure out what was really important to me and what do I really want to focus on. As an individual who's had multiple internship experiences within the world of venture capital and financial services in a broader context, Decision-making is absolutely critical. Daniel Kahneman has written extensively on the subject. He won the Nobel Prize in Economic Sciences. I'm very curious, how do you make better decisions? Yeah, I mean, that that is, again, sort of a, another whole new beast that, that I have um, met with now that I've started work. And I think it's something that is never perfect. It, it's all, always and constantly a work in progress. Um, one of the things that I think I take from my academic background is that I love to sort of see as much information as possible. I tend to take that research heavy mindset to most things in life whenever I have to make a decision. Um, and so, you know, that sort of comes in, in a few different forms. I think you can get that from exposing yourself to different opinions. I think you can get that from reading a ton of information. I think you can get that from sharing your thoughts. Um, with others. I think you can get that from listening to others, um, having firsthand experiences yourself, but sort of a combination of all those things um, is what I like to start with before making a decision. Um, And then, yeah, it usually usually changes from there, I'd say. (laughs) That's right. Now, 
For a moment, let's stick with decision making. In life, there are a few important decisions that individuals make, whether it's love, career, and so forth. On paper, you are an extremely capable, atypical, and high achieving individual. Out of all the firms that you could have selected as your gateway into venture capital, what prompted you to select Equal? Um, well, thank you so much for <laughs> that compliment. I, I really appreciate that. I mean, I think one thing I will say before I answer your question is that um, I definitely have, you know, had a lot of help along the way. And I'm very fortunate in that regard to have had great advisors and mentors and peers that I could kind of rely on for, for help in figuring out what I wanted to do and sort of helping me through all of those various um, obstacles and recruitment processes. And so I de definitely need to, you know, give give um, some of my village credit as well. But in terms of equal, I mean, I knew when I was looking for a job that I was excited about the opportunity to work on a small team where I could, you know, get more ownership over the things that I was doing. Um, I was excited about the opportunity to work with early stage founders and look at early stage companies. Um, I think there is an element of creativity almost to early stage investing that um, I, you know, kind of missed in other, you know, aspects of life and in other like later stages of investing. And so it was really important to me to figure out a way to continue to develop my interest in that. Um, and then equal, you know, focuses a lot on research as well. And I mentioned earlier that I tend to take a, a pretty research heavy approach to making decisions. And so the fact that I was able to find a firm that, you know, focuses on seed stage investing um, across, you know, different geographies, across different industries, and that does so with a research heavy approach similar to the one that I use, um, I think was was really exciting to me in that that really made Equal uh, an attractive team to join. Now, before we delve deeper into Equal Ventures, your first few months on the job. Let's talk about venture capital and breaking into the industry. Private equity in general, whether you aspire to join a buyout fund, a growth fund, an early stage fund, it may be perceived as Darwinian. Now, most applicants that are successful tend to come from particular educational backgrounds, have gone to certain schools. I was reading this research report that indicated how 40% of VCs in the United States went to two schools, namely Stanford and Harvard. So how were you able to navigate the process and distinguish yourself from individuals who've had stints at the big three, at investment banks, or other high growth technology companies? You know, definitely not going to pretend to be an expert at, um, you know, recruiting or anything. I think um, the most important thing that I realized, and I'm sure, you know, many, many folks have this realization as they sort of go through multiple interview processes, but um, yeah, really realize the importance of having conviction in who I am and my story and why I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Um, for me, that meant embracing my sort of untraditional background, um, you know, coming from the social sciences and going into a field in finance, I guess, was, you know, not super common at Hopkins. Um, not having worked a previous job and going right into venture, again, not super common in the venture industry itself. Um, and so, yeah, just embracing the fact that, you know, I 
am a little bit different. I think that I, I have strengths from that. I definitely have things I need to work on that come from that, but I, I don't think that that's a bad thing necessarily. Um, and, and with that, also understanding that the interviews that I was going through and the firms that I was you know, considering applying to, um, it was just as much an interview of like them interviewing me as it was like me interviewing them and understanding, okay, how do they approach investments? How do they approach building relationships with founders? How do they approach building relationships with their own team members um, and things like that? And really understanding that it is sort of a two-way fit there. I want to stick with the point that you stated towards the end about this two-way street. We often forget to evaluate and assess not only the firms that we intend to work for, the work environments that are so crucial to not only our nurturing and growth over time, but the impact that we can potentially make in a, in a broader community or the globe, if we have that privilege. Machiavelli is famous for proclaiming that the ends justify the means, but perhaps in this scenario, that isn't necessarily all that we should consider. So it's been a few months, your onboarding was virtual from what I can tell. What is getting the team nowadays extremely ecstatic and thrilled? Yeah, so we have a couple of different interest areas that we are really excited about. I guess broadly, I'll say that, you know, we are industry agnostic, but we tend to get really excited by the spaces where, um, you know, they may have a really large impact on society, but the technology is kind of stale. And so there's opportunity for us to, to come in and, and find new businesses to support with capital and sort of our, um, you know, portfolio support, if you will. Um, we actually have a blog post published on our medium, um, definitely need to plug that, um, that does a pretty good job of explaining uh, a couple of different areas that we are most interested in right now, but that includes uh, things like insurance, um, retail, uh, supply chain and logistics is another one, and then the care economies is another one as well, so child care and elder care. Um, and in all of these spaces, you know, we're looking at a couple of different business models that we've kind of identified through our research process. Um, and, you know, so far, I think these are the spaces where we feel like we have a prepared mind, but sort of the beauty of venture is that you're just constantly learning every day. And so I think one of the things that I've loved the most about the job is that as, you know, we continue to meet with founders and, you know, see different companies and see different ideas, popping up in these spaces, we can sort of readjust our own research and our own theses and learn more as we go as well. The nature of being in this asset class has provided you with a wide exposure to multiple founders, professionals, and aspiring entrepreneurs. Storytelling is an important ability, especially when raising sufficient capital, convincing customers, or even telling a really great narrative about how you built a unicorn. So the crux of my next question is about developing great storytelling ability. What should founders focus on in order to develop competency and adeptness in storytelling? It's hard to pinpoint, you know, exact specific things that you can look for in founders just because I think every founder is so different and every industry is so different and people tend to have, um, very different backgrounds um, and interests and things like that. But broadly, um, I think having passion for what they are working on um, and having some connection to what they're working on 
is is really important because that I think is where that understanding of the problems and the pain points and you know the different things to solve really comes from. Um, and then the other point that I you know started started to notice and I think um, is becoming increasingly important to me when I you know have those sorts of meetings is um, is a founder you know responding to my questions? Are they listening to me just as much as I'm listening to them? I think, again, the concept of a two-way street is is really important. Um, and that in these pitches, um, they shouldn't actually be pitches. They should be more like conversations. There should be, you know, more of a back and forth. I think um, also on that point, that's where sort of having that prepared mind that we focus on at Equal really comes in handy because it allows you to sort of um, understand where the founder is coming from. And when you can understand where they're coming from, you can better better understand their passion and their reason for wanting to start this company and their reason for wanting to tackle this problem. Um, like being a founder is not easy. Um, I, you know, have never done it. So I'm saying this um, from my perspective, sitting on the other side, but, you know, I definitely recognize that it's not easy. And so having or, or being able to like I said understand where they're coming from and I think having that that empathy is something that I always try to take note of. 2020 in general has been a cataclysmic year on so many fronts. A million people certainly more than that now have unfortunately lost their lives as a result of the ongoing global health crisis. Now one thing that this year has taught me is being kind to myself and practicing empathy. How do you personally practice the art of empathy or being kind in moments of despair? Yeah, I think having a little bit of alone time is really helpful for that. Obviously, you know, there's, again, no sort of one true formula that everyone can apply to their lives to be more empathetic to those around them. Although I wish there were. I think, I think the world needs a lot more of that. Um, and it certainly would be easier to achieve that if it were easier to be more empathetic. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, having a little bit of alone time, having time, you know, whether it be a few minutes or on a run or making dinner to just sort of reflect on yourself and on your day and figure out, you know, what's it, what's important to me? What did I work on today that got me really excited that I you know know that I want to work on tomorrow and that I know I want to work on the day after that and the day after that? Um, and what did I do today that maybe didn't sit so well with me and maybe it's something that you know is challenging and I need to spend more time on to learn more about um, or maybe it's something that you know was not the best use of my time and so moving forward I'll be more mindful of that um, I think running through those exercises with yourself is is sort of um, a simple or one one simple way to better achieve that goal of being more empathetic to yourself and those around you um, and founders as well and yeah, I mean, I think with that comes, you know, just being open to learning at all points. Let's discuss the current state of venture capital. People from different walks of life may come across barriers to raising adequate capital for their entrepreneurial endeavors. There's clearly an underrepresentation of the actual consumer base in the investing landscape. And this often results in a silo of products or services being created that don't necessarily create true value. This in turn advances unnecessary, unproductive, and undesirable social stratification. Now, obviously, do not interpret me incorrectly, but certainly improvements have been made, coalitions have been formed 
in order to address the systemic dilemma at hand? What other initiatives can the industry at large take in order to broaden the, the funnel through which individuals from all walks of life, all backgrounds, are able to create a dent and have a chance to raise capital or deploy it themselves? I think there's a lot that can be done. Um, I am really hopeful that one day in the future, in my professional lifetime, um, there will be a point where the world of venture looks like the world around us. Um, I think it's important to remember that every small step means something. Every individual action means something. Everything that you can do as an individual to support you know, a founder who is underrepresented, a founder who is underprivileged, an investor who comes from a similar background, someone who may not have had access to um, the opportunities that I had access to, for example. Any small step that you can do to support those, those individuals and those communities is meaningful. That means something. Um, it doesn't matter if you come from a small firm. It doesn't matter if you come from a new firm. It doesn't matter if you're still in school. You don't need to have that sort of big name behind you to enact meaningful change. And I think if everyone approached the problem um, from that perspective, there is a real difference that could be made. How does one go about navigating the process of breaking into venture? Is there a playbook? Sort of. Um, I think the first most important thing to do is talk to as many people as you can. Bring something to the conversations just like you hope they will bring something to the conversations. Um, whether it be another investor, a founder, um, a founder in the city that your school is in. I think that's a super important thing that people tend to miss out on. I went to school in Baltimore, which you know, is not a tech hub, but there is so much interesting innovation and so much interesting activity that goes on in the city that I think people miss out on. And I, you know, tried as best I could to try to get involved in that. And I think that was a really cool way for me to learn more about investing in the actual city that I lived in. Um, so yeah, talk to people, bring something to the conversations. Um, I think have belief in yourself, have belief in, you know, who you are and where you come from. And the fact that all of your experiences have contributed to you and your interests as a person. Um, and then yeah, try to learn as much as possible. I think sort of going back to the way that I approach making decisions, it's pretty similar in that it can come from a lot of different outlets and channels, but always having that sort of student hat on where you're constantly consuming information is, is really important. That is something that does not change from being in college to being in venture on a full-time basis. I'm still learning just as much as I did in school, if not more. Um, and so I think forming those habits earlier on can definitely never hurt. Since venture amongst a myriad of other industries has a steep learning curve, what has been helpful in overcoming these obstacles and climbing the mountain of just a trove of information? In terms of learning curves, I think that is something that I'm still working through you know it's been a few months on the job i think i still have a long ways to go um before i kind of have my feet truly under me um i think there is you know definitely a difference to the way that i experienced venture in school and the way that i'm experiencing venture now at equal in part because um it's a much bigger fund it's a full-time job we you know typically look to lead or co-lead investments and i think just with the even diligence phase of that um, it looks a little bit different at equal and so 
yeah, still learning in that regard. So if anyone has any advice on that, would definitely welcome it. Um, in terms of learning about spaces, I think, you know, again, it's a mix of things. I am a reader. I love to read. I'll look for as much information that I can read and sort of digest and then spit out my own notes on that. Um, I think talking to people is a great way to sort of test your own opinions and theses and try to validate them or critique them um, and then iterate from there. I think also leaning on your team is something that's really important. That's, you know, something that looks a little bit different in today's world than it might have a year or a year and a half ago. Um, but I think it's even more important now than it was before where, you know, we're in this sort of weird virtual environment. Everyone's talking to each other through a computer screen. Um, I've never met the equal team in person. I interviewed virtually. I onboarded virtually. Um, but they are really the ones who are kind of helping me scale the steep learning curve. Um, the fact that I can ask questions, I can, you know, share my thoughts, I can get responses to those at any point that I want. That's been really helpful for me um, in getting up to speed on certain spaces. And then I think also just getting up to speed on how to be a full-time investor. The current and ongoing digital transformation efforts have accelerated quite prominently and in a rapid fashion. With that in mind, how does Equal go about engaging with the broader entrepreneurial ecosystem? Yeah, I think there are uh, a few different ways. Um, with founders specifically, I mean, you know, being honest, having it be a conversation, having it be um, you know, less of a sort of one-sided pitch um, and more of a thoughtful two-way uh, dynamic is, is really helpful for that. I think in terms of Equal's broader message to the community, um, you know, publishing content, you know, sharing programs. We just recently announced two different programs, um, one for sort of operators and residents um, and another focused on, um, you know, helping people get ready for a chief of staff role at a startup. Um, and so, you know, sharing more of our resources and more of our thoughts through content, like I said, or different programs where we can actually work one-on-one -on -one or one-on-eight um, with individuals um, is, is really, uh, I think, the easiest and probably mo most efficient and best way of doing that in today's environment. And what would you have to say about the venture capital landscape itself? I think one of the biggest changes is just the geographic sort of opening of people's perspectives and sort of spheres of existence and, and influence in the venture world. Um, where in a remote world, you know, people are kind of going anywhere um, in a safe way. And I think, and I'm hopeful that that will bring more attention to areas that are not considered tech hubs, like the Midwest, um, cities in the Midwest, um, Baltimore, for example, is I think another one. Um, I think there is a ton of great innovation that happens there. These are areas where, you know, because there hasn't been much capital flowing in from you know the venture channels um there are folks who sort of have have these problems that technology can really solve but they haven't really had the support to actually get that technology sort of up and running and you know we're starting to see a ton of really great funds um, and firms and groups and individuals pop up who are focusing on that but i i really believe that and i'm hopeful that covid um 
will bring more attention to those areas and those people who are those investors who are kind of focusing on those regions. I think there's a ton of opportunity there. Um, and it, it's a shame that it has been overlooked in the past. Um, in a similar vein, I think, and I'm hopeful that, you know, now there can be meaningful change on the diversity spectrum across venture. Um, I don't just mean, you know, diversity in terms of gender. I think there are multiple different ways that you can sort of see that happen, whether it be diversity of race, diversity of sexuality, even, um, I don't know, there, there are just so many ways to think about it. And I think broadening those perspectives can only be beneficial to venture. That's the way to figure out, okay, what's the next problem that needs to be solved? And who's the next team that can solve that problem? Being at the top 1% of 1% in any profession requires diligence, requires perseverance, smarts. Within the venture community at large, in your humble opinion, what differentiates an eccentric and brilliant investor from the crowd? I don't know. Um, that's a great question. I, I don't know that anyone knows. I think people have a lot of opinions about it. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's fair to have opinions about it. But venture is one of those spaces where, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of realize right away if you're doing well, we're investing in companies that where, you know, we might not realize the returns for years and years and years, we're investing in companies that take years and years and years to grow. Um, and so it's hard to figure out what, what separates that. I think in the past, people might have said school, people might have said academic area of study. Um, people might have said gender. Like I said, lots of opinions and lots of answers. Um, I don't know, but I think what makes a successful investor, whether good or prolific, is having empathy and being able to understand where the founders are coming from, especially at the earlier stages when, you know, there is so much uncertainty and you really don't have a great idea. They might not even have a great idea of what exactly they want to do. Having that empathy and being able to support them through that while also, you know, having that sort of investment acumen um, is really important. Complementary to the ideas that you just presented is the notion of failing well. In my opinion, you either succeed or you learn. There isn't necessarily too much failing involved in the traditional context. Mike Tyson, obviously a world-class famous boxer, has this famous saying, everyone has a plan until they're punched in the mouth or face. Have you personally dealt with such pain? And if so, how did you overcome it? Yeah, I think at A-level, um, it was hard to, I guess, get on people's calendars and get on people's schedules. Um, you know, we we were students and that was sort of the first part of our identity that anyone ever really focused on. And it was hard to kind of break past that barrier, especially, you know, for founders who are busy and have busy schedules and maybe thought, okay, this is something that, you know, we don't really want to waste our time on. Um, and so, you know, I think that was that was a real challenge um, and taught me some important skills about, you know, how to communicate and the importance of bringing value to every conversation that you schedule, just like you expect the other person that you're talking to to bring value to. Um, it's a two way street. And I think 
um, in, in sort of overcoming that barrier of being seen first as students and, and sort of then as everything else that we were. Um, that was really the thing that taught me how to get past that. On the subject of learning and digesting new material in an attempt to grow, what are some lessons or values, perhaps even principles that were attained during your time at college that you still apply today as an investment professional? Patience is a really big one. Um, patience is so crucial to the research process. In school when I would, you know, be tasked with writing a paper or creating some sort of presentation on something, you're never going to know what you think right off the bat. You kind of need to do the work. You kind of need to figure out what other information is out there. You need to understand what other people are saying and you need to synthesize all that to then figure out what your true opinion is um, or your true thesis is on the space. That's not something that you approach any problem knowing straight away. In that same vein, Patience is so important to venture. I think one with, you know, being in sort of supporting portfolio companies through the growth process, that can take time. Um, sourcing investments can take time. Diligence can take time. Most importantly, though, personal development can take a lot of time. Um, and being patient through that process is, is really important. It's something that I try to remind myself of every day. Um, because I do get very impatient and I do feel like, okay, why do I not know this yet? Why, why have I, you know, not done this yet? Why have I not grasped this yet? But it all comes in time. And I think if you can stay focused on your work and stay focused on what really matters, which is, you know, getting to meet really awesome founders and getting to learn really interesting new things, then all of that will come in time. I want to return to the concept of gratitude. We touched upon being kind to yourself, practicing empathy. What else has this year taught you? Yeah, it's taught me a lot about privilege. Um, I am very privileged to have been able to go to school. I'm very privileged to have been able to get a job um, at a time when the job market does not look so great. Um, I'm very privileged to have a family that supports me. Um, I'm very, you know, privileged to, I think, be able to work in venture right now. Um, the past few months have really, really kind of shined a light on that for me. Um, and it's made me realize even more now than ever before, the importance of making sure that everyone gets those same privileges. These, I think, are things that are not privileges, but should be rights. Everyone should have access to education. Everyone should be able to be healthy during a time like this. Um, everyone should be able to have support systems around them. And so whether through my professional life and the companies that I look at or in my personal life and you know things that I do on my own, really concentrating on opening up inaccessible spaces to people who deserve that access is, is really, really important. And I think something that I am I'm excited to continue to focus on moving forward. And, you know, as, as I work more um, and I think build out my network and my own interest in the professional world. An important facet of our identities is we have interests and obsessions outside of work as well. Based upon previous conversations, I understand that you're a gastronomy aficionado. Have you had the opportunity to cook something delicious for yourself or for a family member? So there's an Instagram account that I follow. It's called Foods of Jane. Um, it's run by this food blogger named Janie Hardy. 
she makes the most incredible pasta recipes. And so I've tried almost every single one. Um, had to give her a shout out. She lives in Cleveland. She's absolutely amazing. She has vegan and gluten-free friendly recipes. So everyone can definitely make everything on her website. And I highly recommend checking her out. I've also been told that you love to crawl through the depths of SoundCloud. I'm curious, is there a song or soundtrack that has been keeping you motivated during these tumultuous periods of time? Yeah, there's a lot. I find myself throughout the pandemic reaching back sort of to to the throwbacks um, that I listened to a lot in middle school, a lot of NSYNC, a lot of Usher, a lot of Beyonce, um, but also some newer favorites like Disclosure. I think I love Disclosure um, and, and other DJs like that. You graduated this past year. So first of all, congratulations from one graduate to another. Apart from landing such a stellar job at Equal, being able to dive into additional interests as we talked about, what else has been the highlight of the year for you so far? I think just being able to be at home. Um, this is the first time since I left for school that I have you know, spent more than <laughs> two weeks at home. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really just lucky and fortunate and grateful to be able to have this time with my family and my sisters um, and to be back in New Jersey, which is the best state in this country by far. I think some would disagree. <laughs> I know it's a hot take, but I, I have to say it. Well, I presume that would be fair or reasonable. We are all entitled to our own opinions. Let's talk about a moral compass. Do you have one and what parameters or values encompass this personal device of yours? Yeah, I think there are three core ones. Um, be kind, be honest, and be respectful. And, you know, it's easy, I think, to do the one of the three on a one-off basis. It's hard to do all three of them together. But if in every situation, particularly the challenging situations, you can remember to do all three of those things, I think you and whoever you're in the situation with will be better off. Keeping in line with asking over-the-top meta questions, I want you to imagine you're driving past a billboard that's dedicated to your life. What do you want it to say? I would want it to talk about the impact that I have had on others. Um, you know, I have a long way to go in my life, so I'm, I'm looking for ways to make that impact. But if 50 years from now, I saw that billboard, that's exactly what I would want to talk about. And I would hope that between now and 50 years from now, I will have actually been able to, to truly change people's lives for the better. On this idea of changing lives for the better, what books or one particular book has influenced your life significantly? I don't know that there's one single book that has influenced my life. Um, there are a ton of books that I really, really love. Um, fiction books that I love. Uh, the Shadow of the Wind is a great one. Um, I love every single Toni Morrison novel. Um, in terms of books on my bookshelf right now, let's see. Um, I have Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey A. Moore, which we just read in our Equal Book Club. Um, that's a great book on marketing disruptive products um, and specifically looking at B2B technology companies. Um, it's a short read, but so great. I highly recommend to anyone who's interested in a more business-specific book. Um, other books that are on my bookshelf right now include 
again, a lot of Toni Morrison. Um, and then also Jill Lepore, who is a historian. Now, as someone who's a fervent reader and revels in the leisure activity of reading, I will certainly check those books out and authors. Simran, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. What do you want the listener to take away from this open-ended dialogue that we've had? Believe in yourself, especially when it feels like no one else really believes in you. Um, I think that applies to personal life, but it also really applies to professional life. And I think people tend to forget about that, Um, especially if you're interested in going into venture. Believe in yourself because that will really help with you and your confidence and your learning um, and your ability to work well with founders and your team. Um, And be kind to yourself also. It's important. Thanks for tuning in to my conversation with Simran Suri. If you've enjoyed our conversation, consider giving it a thumbs up on YouTube, following on Spotify, giving it five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, and connecting with me directly on LinkedIn at Social Insights. Before I leave you today, I want to share a poem from Roman poet Lucretius. Nothing is more sweet than hill possession, of those calm heights, well-built, well-fortified, by wise men's teaching, to look down from here at others, wandering below, men lost, confused in hectic search for the right road. Thank you and take care.